Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday night, and guess what that means? It is time for Friends in Fiction. Welcome back. We have really missed y'all the past two weeks while we were on a break between seasons. And we're so excited for the incredible night ahead for you, our first show of an incredible fall season. So let's get rolling. I am Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I'm Christy Whitson Harvey. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we'll be welcoming Adrian Brodeur, author of Little Monsters, and Melanie Benjamin, author of California Golden. Now, make sure that you check out all the pieces of our Friends in Fiction community at friendsandfiction.com. It's there that you'll find links to everything Friends in Fiction, our weekly Friday podcast that drops on all major platforms, our bookshop.org page, which supports indie bookstores, where our books and books from our guests are available at a discount, our newsletter, and our Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa. While we were on a break between seasons, we've had a few podcasts that you don't want to miss. So maybe we haven't really been on a break. Break-ish. Yeah. Break-ish. <laughs> we'll talk about that on the yeah. after show. On Not July 28th. Yeah. yeah, was it a real break? Patty and Ron talked to Emily Haybeck about her debut, Shark Heart. On August 4th, Meg and Ron talked to Daniel Krause about Whale Fall, which has already announced a movie deal and has been getting huge buzz. And I've got a nice piece of news to share. Anybody who pre-orders my new Christmas book, Bright Lights, Big Christmas, from Barnes & Noble, is automatically entered into a sweepstake. That's right. All you have to do is order by September 25th, and BNN will enter you for the chance to win a four-foot artificial pre-lit Christmas tree in a pot. I want that. Awesome. I want that. I want okay. that. I want that. I'll tell them. I'll pre-order in, Patty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, done. You'll get signed copies of both the Santa suit and Bright Lights Big Christmas. So get those orders in at bnn.com stat, and you might be the lucky winner. I could watch that like so much. I feel as oh Christmassy as is humanly possible to feel in August right now. <laughs> I do too. Oh my gosh. I hope everybody. I, can't I remember the day that you said you had the idea. And it, I know it doesn't feel like it to you, but it feels like you're like bewitched and you like wiggle your nose. Uh, and and then there's a, a book. Poof. 
Hmm. I was thinking today about how I'm waiting like just a couple more weeks to read it because you know y'all know how I get in my like end of summer sadness and I was like no I'm just gonna read MK's book and then I'll be like but it's almost Christmas okay perfect I I like the philosophy okay so because we cannot get that book right until September Mm -hmm. there's a few weeks left I'm going to give you another little gift in the meantime which is two more podcast episodes you can listen to which is amazing so last Friday on the podcast was Megan Ron's chat with Susanna Hoffs the lead singer of the Bangles how fun is that whose debut novel is This Bird Has Flown and coming up this Friday will be MKA and Ron's chat with audiobook narrator turned novelist Julia Whalen about her debut thank you for listening so do not miss these podcast episodes and make sure to enter that MKA giveaway to win a Christmas tree that's so cool yeah so Wouldn't it be hilarious if I actually won it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be Everyone awesome. Everyone would be like, that contest was rigged. That rigged. Patty rigged it. Mm-hmm. All right. Without further ado, I'm so excited about welcoming our friend, Adrienne Brodeur. Now, Adrienne has spent the past two decades of her professional life in the literary world, discovering voices, cultivating talent, and working to amplify underrepresented writers. Her publishing career began with founding the fiction magazine Zoetrope, All Story, with filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola, where she served as editor-in-chief from 1996 to 2002. In 2005, she became an editor at Harcourt, later HMH Books, where she acquired and edited literary fiction and memoir. And now she is the executive director of Aspen Words, a literary arts nonprofit and program of the Aspen Institute. She's the author of the blockbuster memoir, Wild Game, My Mother, Her Lover, and Me, and film rights were bought by Shernan Entertainment with Nick Hornby attached to adapt. Wow. She splits her time between Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Cape Cod, where she lives with her husband and two children. Her new novel, Little Monsters, was just released on June 27th and was one of my favorites of the season, as well as the July Barnes & Noble book club pick. Sean, oh, Juan, can you bring Adrian on, please? Hello. Hi. Hi. I love the four-part introduction. I just wanted to listen a while longer. <laughs> we had a lot more to say. You have so much. We had to cut it down. So, Adrian, we are so honored to have you with us. This has been a whirlwind couple of months for you since Little Monsters was released. And we are so happy you made time to talk to us about this novel. So, this novel is about Cape Cod, a love letter, I think, long buried secrets, and a very complicated family. We hear from many voices as we move toward the 70th birthday of the patriarch of the family. Everyone is holding a secret. Everyone is holding an announcement, which sets us up for an explosive reveal. So, although that might be the plot of Little Monsters, talk to us about what you think it's really about? Oh, this book is really about so many things. But above all, I think my goal when I started writing it was to just super look inside a family. And by going into sort of kaleidoscopically into different uh, characters' heads, there was this way in which I could really interrogate and examine how we all as members of family, let alone people, assume we know what's going on in our brother, our mother, our sister's head, when in fact we almost always get that wrong. Um, Mm. And so I really wanted 
to shine a spotlight on a real family, uh, look at them with great compassion, and try to understand how how different people get stuck in their various traumas and move past them and and carve out their own lives. And I think there's a biblical story that might have been a bit <laughs> of an inspiration. I just think it's so interesting the way you took that and kind of flipped it over. Sure. So I, um, I, you know, when I, when you first, I know it's different for every writer, but when you first start coming upon your idea, I feel it's like a little woodpecker tapping at your head, your subconscious going to a place or like a lighting on a flower and getting a little nectar and so on. And so the first things that I knew about the book were that it was going to be set on Cape Cod, that it was going to be set in the year 2016, because I just felt that was such an anxious and unusual time period. But I also really knew I wanted to examine the complexities of sibling relationships. And so in that good research way, I thought, well, I should turn to the original of all uh, sibling stories, obviously, Mm -hmm. and Abel. And I thought from there, I would discover all about, I don't know, motivation and character and whatnot. But of course, um, there is that story is so brief. It is about two sentences and there are there's no meat on the bones. It is simply, you know, Cain and Abel present the father with gifts. The father prefers Abel's. Ken is mad. Ken murders. I, I mean, I left thinking, absolutely, what was that? But of course, in that beautiful way where your subconscious creates its own logic, I realized that that's where I tapped into the structure of my story because from it, I sort of came upon the idea of the patriarch's birthday, of this big moment that both the the adult children are moving towards and the gifts that they want to give the father and how much more those gifts reveal about themselves, you know, than the parent. And arguably, you know, no one was giving sort of the appropriate Old Spice kind of present. These were very personal kind of, um, let's say, not entirely appropriate gifts. Ah, (laughs) well, that leads us kind of into my question. You know, in this book, in Little Monsters, we meet the most fascinating characters, a daughter, a son, a father, and one more surprise addition to the narrative. Okay, so let's say we're at a dinner party, and before they arrive, you must introduce Adam, Ken, and Abby to us. How do you describe each of them to us as we head into this dinner party? Oh, that's such a good question. So um, I don't think I'm going to give anything away, but Adam, who's the patriarch, is about to turn 70, as you know, and he is brilliant and charming and funny and kind of inappropriate and also not of you know not fully adapting to the times he's in. Um, and he also happens to have bipolar disorder. So if I were introducing him, I think I would prepare the table for the unexpected. The stuff that comes out of that man's mouth is hilarious, but often, you know, just a little sketchy. <laughs> um, Ken, the son, who is 41, and he is very, very successful and has huge political ambitions. He's one of these people who, who kind of can't get out of his own way. He, he has grand plans. He likes to be controlled. He's very buttoned up. And a lot of stuff is sort of seeping out of the corners of Ken um, with his children and his wife and his history as, as 
as a, as a deeply wounded child who hasn't quite moved past those wounds. And then there's Abby, who's the daughter, who's 38, who is on the brink of becoming, uh, of, of being discovered and finding her voice as an artist. And so I would say about Abby is that she, um, she's someone just on the cusp who has a lot to say and her voice has been tamped down. So at this dinner party, I think um, you're going to learn a lot from her. Mm. Can you talk about, that leads me into the second part of this question, the choice to change the point of view and let us in on the secrets that the other, the other characters don't know about. Yeah. I mean, I really love the idea of having this sort of, looming fam familial implosion set in a looming cultural implosion. And I love the idea that the reader slash audience always knows a little bit more than the characters themselves. Mm -hmm. And and I was able to do that by by having such a close third person because you know each person is so narrow and true in their point of view, but then you realize their missteps along the way and their misunderstandings. Um, and in the same way, the fact that the book ends before the election, even though it's not a political book, I, I was very interested in evoking the sort of collective unease and anxiety of that time period. I think, I think that there was, I think it was just a very subversive and fun way to approach the material. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Adrian, I'm curious. Um, I know we mentioned in your introduction that you were an editor for a time. Mm -hmm. Do you have to consciously take off that editor hat in order to sort of free yourself up to write? Or can you talk a little bit about striking that balance between having that editorial voice in your head and letting yourself kind of run free as a writer? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And of course, we all, you know, in the same way that we all only have one childhood, so we assume that's normal. Yeah. I feel like yes. it's the only way I know how to write. So I don't have an MFA. I didn't, you know. I, I this was the path I took, and I I think I'd say that the biggest influence on me as a writer has always been me as a reader. So I read, you know, just voraciously. Um, and then with this added layer of having been an editor and having to read incredibly closely and understand structure and understand motivation and understand character, even if I didn't have all the MFA words for that, I feel like I got a great education in terms of what moves a book along. And, you know, I, I don't even know that I could articulate it, but I know it, right? So, um, do I have to get out of my own way? I, I will say, I wish I were one of those writers who could write the totally, as my son would say, sloppy copy, you know, just the first dash where you spill it all out and then you have something to push against. Because, of course, it's incredibly important to have something on the page that you can push against. And I'm not saying my drafts are great, but I do have a very hard time moving on to chapter two from chapter one if I haven't created a sturdy foundation or structure for myself. So I think I'm also one of those writers. I'm not really an outliner or a, you know, I, I don't I don't have a formula in any way. I'm I'm very intuitive, I think, in my writing process, but I do have to have firm footing. 
Um, and that might be the editor in me. It just seems too hard to be like, oh yeah, I know I've got all this wrong, but I'm just <laughs> writing to the end and then I'll fix that. No, I gotta, I gotta go fix the foundation. I do think that's the editor because I, yeah. I can think I'll fix it later, but you can't think that. But maybe that's also the way we cook. Maybe just you're wired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personality. I don't know. I mean, perhaps it is the editor. Um, I don't know. Adrian, does that mean that you're making sure that the plot level foundation is there? Or are you talking about like sentence level? Like, are, are you going oh, no. in and making, definitely, okay, okay. Definitely more plot level. Okay. I, mean, I do go back and back and back and perfect. And certainly with character in fiction, you know, I think of character as sort of the, um, you know, the iceberg. We all see the tippity top as readers, but gosh, like what a massive, yeah. you know, underpinning there is that we as the authors have to understand. So I feel like with with my characters, oh goodness, I'm writing 200 pages till I really, you know, till yes. we really know who they are. And then you go back and you do all that reading through and work. And I think, yeah, I, I am so mostly on a structural level. I just can't go down I, I admire the writers who do. I actually just heard this interview with Alice Elliott Dark where, I mean, I think she wrote 1,700 pages before she figured out where oh she was going to begin with her book. That could not be me. Like, I no, couldn't no, no. that. And mm -mm. You know, that's just, you know, like, all of us know. <laughs> who has the time for that? My goodness. <laughs> well, she's a beautiful wow. writer. I mean, <laughs> we all have our own weird process. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I'm just giving, it's giving me anxiety thinking about it. <laughs> for sure. That's so funny that you say that because I'm working on something new and I'm not, I mean, only like 10,000 words done, but I, the beginning I know is not right. And now I know like why it's not right. And I'm like, okay. Do I go back and fix it or do I just keep going? Do I go back and fix it or do I just keep going? Like your inclination is just to keep going and know that you can fix it, but write everything else as if it were already fixed? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, mine too. Okay, Adrian's so having hives you, just a little bit. If you made a recipe where you know you've forgotten an ingredient, do you put it in or just sprinkle it on top at the end? <laughs> 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 Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's just what Said I do. the daughter of a cook. And daughter I know. Of a, yeah. It's, it's just what I do. And this is number 12. So I guess so, that's just who I am. <laughs> you're doing fine. You're doing fine 12 books later. I'm not about to try to score. <laughs> no, but I think I should fix it. I think you've talked me into it. Okay. <laughs> so we have got to talk about whales. So in your interview in our newsletter, you mentioned how you listen to whale songs when you write, and whales are so central to this novel. So yeah. why whales, and how did they help form the narrative of this novel? I mean, the bigger question would be, why not <laughs> In every piece of literary fiction uh, in the planet, right? I mean, yeah. the metaphor, what they do for our world, how beautiful and wise and fun and playful and all of these things they are. So what they mean to me, I'm a Cape Codder. I've grown up watching the humpbacks migrate, watching them in Stellwagen Basin eat and play and do all those things. So, you know, one of the most fun parts about fiction, which all of you know, is you can create the work that your characters do. And if I weren't a writer, 
I would be a cytologist. So I was like, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. So there was a lot of research. There was also a lot that I already knew about whales because I'm kind of obsessed with them. Um, So the the bigger issue for me is like, not to shoehorn every single little whale fact ever in there. So I stuck to the ones that I, you know, just found so beautiful. I mean, the fact that humpbacks have pink milk, like, hello, how cute is that? Or their bubble nets, which I've seen them do to trap fish. I mean, they're so smart. But the songs themselves, which I feel so weird admitting that I listen to whale songs, but I feel like... I write very early in the morning before anyone in my house gets up. It's just the only time I can carve it out for myself. And I get my coffee and I just, I can play it just for (laughs) just a song or two people. Um, (laughs) And there's something so achingly, I don't know, just profound and beautiful and moving. Like it just moves me. And I get, it's like reading poetry to me. There's just something about the language and the, the way they're communicating that gets me in a very good head to write. Hmm, that's incredible. I love that. I feel like we're all going to go home Start tonight. And we'll have yes. a new yeah, writer Click on some whale songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all, I'm going to put on whale songs and rewrite the beginning of my book. <laughs> <laughs> You're so inspiring. Is there, a, is there a whale song top 40? <laughs> Literally, go to Spotify. Okay. But there, there are also some annoying ones that have like musical interludes. Like you mm. want the real deal. You <laughs> okay. the whale songs. And I don't really love the little clicking of some of the other. I'm like a, a whaleist. I'm snotty whale about purist. whale songs I like. So, you know, I'd say humpbacks are, you know, top 10 definitely. <laughs> this is awesome. amazing. Okay. So well, I have one more question about theme. Um, so in your memoir, Wild Game, your mother is the central character. Mm-hmm. But in this novel, the absence of the mother is really a central part. So can you talk to us about those two approaches? And was that something intentional or just something that happened? Oh my God. It was intentional and then ridiculously unintentional, right? So I felt so smug and clever telling my editor, who's, I have the same editor for Wild Game, who edited Little Monster as well. And when I handed him my book, I was like, guess what? No mom here over my mom issues. You know, I wrote my memoir, (laughs) my intense mother-daughter stuff. And now I've created a family that's just the patriarchy, a father and two adult children. And after she read it, she was like, Adrian, you do know that every character is haunted by the mother. So in fact, that (laughs) news to me when I heard it, as obvious as it is, um, you know, I just, I think, you know, it's a little bit what I said before. I think our subconscious has such a logic and mind of its own. And, And I know that the four of you know this, but one of the most wonderful things about going on book tour and talking to other people who've you've read who have read your book is you know the book you wrote but you don't know the book that other people read and everyone brings everyone reads a different book they see it through their own lens some people would think little monsters is only about mothers i mean to me i can talk about women finding their voices i can talk about all the themes that i think it has to do with but there are ways in which you know, I've learned communication has been threaded through between the whale songs and Abby and Jenny finding, you know, their their power as artists that, you know, I didn't do entirely consciously. And I think that's one of the coolest parts of writing. Yeah, 
Absolutely. We think that, yeah, to, to find out that somebody got something out of your book that you're like, sure, I 100% yeah. meant to, meant <laughs> to hit that. on that mother-daughter yeah. theme. my master plan all the yes. time. Yes. <laughs> it was in my list of themes. Yes. That's what it was. Yes. Um, before we let you go, I have to tell you that we have a comment on Facebook from Bubba Wilson, one of our... <laughs> loyal members. And she said, I've started listening to whale songs since I met Adrian. So I know. I love that. I can, I can totally imagine her sitting down and listening to whale songs. And the novel is just going to come out of you, baby. No work at all. Just over the keyboard. (laughs) All right. You've been such an incredible guest and I could, as you know, ask you a lot more questions, but before we let you go, I'd love for you to tell everyone, because I'm so proud of what you've done with this, about the Aspen Literary Festival and the Words Prize. It's a beautiful annual award for an influential work of fiction that illuminates a vital contemporary issue. And it demonstrates, the work demonstrates the transformative power of literature on both thought and culture. You must be so proud of it. So I want you to touch on that before you leave, because I'm proud of you. I going to get weepy here. Um, it is a prize I love, and it embodies both our organization. Our organization is called Aspen Words, and we're the literary arm of the Aspen Institute, but it also embodies the principles of the Aspen Institute. And what I think is the most incredible thing about fiction is how it transports its reader empathetically and emotionally to exist outside the self. Like when you are deeply involved in a book, you are not Adrian Brodeur living in Cambridge and Cape Cod. You could be in, you know, I don't know, 17th century France. You could be, um, you know, in Ethiopia. You can be in the Civil War. There are just all sorts of times and places and people that you can occupy and embody in a way that actually powerfully creates empathy. So this prize was created to, as you said, shine a spotlight on a contemporary social issue. So these books examine wrongful incarceration, racism, inequality, sexism, any any number of things, addiction. And you know, the prize weights both the literary value and the the revealing of the social issue with equal with equal weight. And it's just been, um, and the, the idea is also to create conversation around these issues. So it's been, it's been a really wonderful experience. We're now going into our sixth year and I couldn't be more proud of it. It's really, you know, a highlight of my pro- professional career. Oh, it's amazing. Lifting up other writers in such a beautiful way. Adrian. Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you for you having so me. Much. You love know how much I love this book. All of you. Good, Good night. Good night. Thank you. All right. Well, we are so excited to get to Melanie Benjamin also. But first, we want to talk to talk about how we can see all of you more than just on this screen. So as we might have mentioned here before, this is a year that all four of us have novels out and we have had so many incredible live events. And we can now announce, drum roll. Oh, Patty, that's you. (laughs) I'm good at that. Well, we finally have a location and a ticketing link for the October 4th Friends and Fiction live event to celebrate the launch of Bright Lights Big Christmas. Now we know we originally told you that this event was gonna be in Darien, Connecticut. 
and due to circumstances well beyond our control, the event will now be held in Westminster, Maryland. We are so excited to be hosting by the amazing indie bookstore, A Likely Story, and they have partnered with the Carroll County Public Library. You can join all the fun live and in person at the beautiful theater on the campus of Carroll Community College. The event is going to be at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, October 4th, and Meg is going to share the ticketing link in the comments, and we hope to see so many of you there. We're so yeah. excited about it. We're, yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yep. It's going to be amazing. We're super excited to get to see everybody again, and we can't wait to celebrate you, MKA. You've Aww. really, you've sort of been long suffering this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, long celebrating. It's been a blast. <laughs> no, Patty, will you be bringing the Christmas tree that you win from Barnes and Noble? <laughs> I'm going to win the Christmas tree. Bring the Christmas tree and champagne. I feel like we're um, manifesting this right now. Yeah. <laughs> We've manifested three New York Times bestsellers this year. So, I mean, There's no stopping us. Christmas yeah, tree could be next. Totally <laughs> so, hoping, over on the official. I, yeah, I'm so. totally hoping I don't screw up our batting average. No, oh, you we, won't. We're worried. We feel worried. pretty good about you. Yeah. So, over on the official book club page, I will be chatting live with Brenda and Lisa about the summer of songbirds. So, join me there on Monday, August 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern. Is it my turn to talk? Nope. No, it's Christy. Christy, well, why don't you talk and, now? And, uh, Christy, you're muted. She got herself muted. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That will not happen again, I hope. All right. Now it is time for our next guest, Melanie Benjamin. Melanie is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of several novels, including The Swans of Fifth Avenue, which is one of my favorite books of all time, The Aviator's Wife, and Mistress of the Ritz. Melanie is a native of the Midwest and has and published two contemporary novels under her real name, Melanie Hauser, before turning to historical fiction. Melanie lives in Chicago with her husband, and in addition to writing, she puts her theatrical training to good use by being a member of the Authors Unbound Speakers Bureau. When she isn't writing or speaking, she's reading <laughs> and always looking for new stories to tell. Melanie's new novel, California Golden, was just released last week. Um, Juan, could you please bring yeah. Melanie on? <laughs> Hi, Melanie. Hi, Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. We're so excited that you're here. We loved, I know some of some of the ladies had already met you in real life, but I loved getting to meet you in real life um, recently in Chicago. It was so great and yeah. loved this book, um, California Golden. We've all been talking about it. And Meg, our managing director, loved it too. We were talking about <laughs> it yesterday. Great. And but, I just say, I loved Adrian's book. I, I read Little Monsters last beautiful. week and it was wonderful. I really, really loved it. And I thought between the two of us, it's interesting how we treated men in our books. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's so Men and their we, foibles. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting how we don't intend it because a lot of times we're planning these episodes long before we read the books, long before the books have even released. And so we don't exactly know what's going on or what's happening. And then there's always this connection that ends up yeah. between the two, the two authors. So we love that. Well, Melanie, we are so excited you're here to discuss your riveting new novel, California Golden. This is a novel about the Donnelly girls, two sisters, Mindy and Ginger, who essentially learned to surf originally so that their mother, Carol, who is breaking into the male-dominated sport and making her mark in a big way, will not leave them. 
literally. Their father disappeared when he realized that he would always be second fiddle to her mother, to their mother's love of surfing. Um, and consequently, Mindy and Ginger spend their lives longing for family. And along the way, Mindy finds success in surfing and acting while Ginger is swept into the world of surf culture in a bit of a different way that we'll ask you about soon. So these three women each represent a different moment in the rapidly changing 1950s and 60s culture. So that's a little bit about what the book is about. Can you tell us a little more and then can you tell us what it's really about? Oh, such a good thing. Well, um, I mean, certainly it's about this iconic era that we think about the early 1960s, particularly the surf culture, California, you know, California girls, the Beach Boys, the Frankie and Annette movies, that kind of really golden ideal of that, that really great energy of this era. But it's what happens beyond below the surface that really attracts me as a novelist, I think probably with you all too. So that that was the aspirational part. That was a really highly marketable part of this world. But beneath it, there was an awful lot going on, a lot of things about cultural appropriation and certainly about women who wanted to try to, to, to mark, to take their place in this world that was very, very male dominated then and it remains to today. So, you know, I wanted to, to capture that era for sure, but I think at the heart, this book is just, it's about mothers and daughters and it's about sisters and it's about um, iconic women and for every iconic woman out there, there is someone she leaves behind and there's mm -hmm. someone she hurts. And I haven't really explored that. I've, in my previous novels, I have talked about some trailblazing women but I don't think I've really explored the fact that you know they're they happily someone behind, and that's mm. what this book is about this time—the damage. Yeah. Wow, I love that. That is so well said. Mm -hmm. So Kirkus gave this book a stunning review, yeah. and we nice Kirkus review. You know, they can, <laughs> they're hard to come well, by. I mean, they're hard. Kirkus yeah. has they're hard to come be. By. I mean, maybe not the first one, but it's rare. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they say, and we agree, you can practically hear the Beach Boys singing California Girls in this novel about surfer sisters, Mindy and Ginger Donnelly and their mother, Carol, a world-class athlete and terrible mom. Fans yeah. of Taylor Jenkins Reid's Malibu Rising will enjoy this story, which shares some of the same locales, but the dysfunctional family at its center is one of a kind. This sun-soaked novel is wonderfully awash in the music, television, and fashion of the 60s, as well as the counterculture movement. Like, totally, wow. What a review. And I think that this review illustrates that this is a very ambitious novel. It's got, like you said, lots of layers. We have the plot on top. We have all that's going on underneath. What, I, what we want to know is, what was the initial spark? Can you say the moment that you thought, that I want to write about surfing because Melanie, I'm just going to take a bet that you're not a surfer. Uh, no, so, like, what, um, <laughs> what was the initial spark? And I did not learn how to surf for this. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I'm a 60 year old woman with half an ACL on one leg. I want to oh, be, no. be around for a while. I did not get on a surfboard. So sorry. Um, no. actually, um, as you know, I think you all know, we've all had many books out there, and I think. You know, with uh, you have a readership, but you're also trying to kind of be fresh and think of new things. And so I was kind of overwriting biographical his historical fiction about real people who've lived. But I, I did still want to write historical fiction and I wanted to write about women um, in, you know, 
trying, who try to break the barriers, you know, who are, who are in a time period that have a lot more societal expectations and a lot more gender restrictions against them than we have now. And I always think that's really interesting. So I was thinking about writing about a cultural moment this time and inventing characters in this cultural moment, but inspired by some real people. So I don't know why I thought of early surfing, but I did. And again, I thought I had that Frankie and Annette kind of sunshiny image in my head. But then I started learning about iconic female surfers in the 1950s when uh, they they really had there were very few of them and they just it was a tough tough world to break into and I came across a photograph of one woman her name was Marge Calhoun and she's acknowledged today as the first um, world champion female surfer and her two daughters and it was a beautiful photograph of these three I mean just gorgeous tall blonde California girls standing there with their surfboards and it's obviously it's like the 19 late 1950s and I was struck by this image of the three of them and I thought I started thinking about the family dynamics then it was like well did the girls want to serve why did they want to serve what would it be like to compete against your mother and your sisters and you know, how do three women kind of, you know, with this triumvirate kind of, uh, you know, thing, I mean, how were they perceived in the surfing world? That photo was really the, the, the launch point for me. And from there, I started researching all these early female surfers' lives. This book is not about Marge Calhoun and her daughters, but it is inspired by the idea of mothers and daughters competing together and um, made me really fascinated with learning about female athletes and writing about them, because I think when we were writing sometimes about in the 1950s, we we don't always, you know, we're talking about maybe, I don't know, women in science or women in the arts who kind of break some barriers. But I was really fascinated to learn about female athletes and how few options are obviously were for them in that time period. And that helped me get into the character of Carol a bit more. Um, so, you know, she was a woman whose dreams were dashed because she was a female athlete in the 1940s when there was just that was not what women were supposed to do. I just think yeah. it's so fascinating to see where Spark comes from, to yeah. know that you looked at a photograph and that photograph made you wonder all those things. And I say it all the time. If you're curious about something, there's probably a story in it. And you just proved me right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it's the first it's not the first photograph that inspired a novel of mine. Um, oh, wow. The Alice I Have Been was inspired by seeing a photograph of, of the real Alice in Wonderland um, at an art museum, and I, you know, I didn't, I was just there, wasn't looking for an idea for a book, and and found this and discovered this photograph, and and made me wonder about the story behind this photograph, and, and I learned that there was an awful lot that had not really, you know, that was that was mysterious, you might say, uh, and that led me to write Alice I Have Been, so this is my second photograph-inspired book. That's awesome. That's <laughs> cool. Do you keep the photograph next to your computer as you're writing? Like, is I it did. something you turn to? Okay. Yeah, I have it on my, as my um, wallpaper, you know, oh, on nice. your, yeah, yeah, I had it as my wallpaper. Cool. So you kind of go back to that touch point every time yeah, you sit down I like, to write. Yeah, I, I love that. I don't know about you guys. I don't have like a mood board. I know some people mm -hmm. do a mood board and I, and some people put a, together a playlist. But to me, it's always I find a lot of time I spend a, a lot of time looking for one particular photograph that is either of the person or it's just the mood or it's something about this book. And then I make it my wallpaper. 
Love it. I like that. What yeah. a great idea. I've never thought yeah. of doing that. Yeah. So Melanie, you talked a little bit about, um, about kind of, you know, where the idea came from, but I'm really curious how you brought this whole world alive because there was so much in this book from the 1950s and 1960s surf culture to the phenomenon that was Gidget to the genre of films that began with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello's beach party to the Vietnam War to hippie communes and drug culture. There were just, oh my gosh, there were so many worlds. and I can barely and, 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 say and, it all. Oh my gosh. And, 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 well, and, and it got me thinking about how much the world changed in such a short period of time. Yeah. Like you can't say this is a 1960s book and it's just one thing. You, do, do you know what I mean? Right. Like even in no, just a few years, there's so much. So and can I you talk so to out. us? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure yeah. you had to. Can you I, talk a little bit about the research you did and, and how oh, you used yeah. that and harness that to, to bring this complex world alive? Well, I mean, I think initially I did think it was just going to stay in the early 60s in yeah. that one particular, you know, again, that kind of Frankie and Annette and Gidget kind of era. Um, but then as the girls' journeys, so they started down these very different paths. Yeah. And I knew it was going to have to go longer into the decade. And really, I liked the idea of it encompass encompassing the entire decade. Yeah. And my agent said something that was really interesting to me. She said she likes books that explore the... Um, the the tension between culture and counterculture and when she said that then I thought oh well then one sister's gonna go culture and the other one's gonna get sucked down into the counterculture and so one review called the book overstuffed but I'm like the 60s was an overstuffed decade it was yeah you can't write a book that in the 1960s, for example, and not talk about Vietnam, right? Yeah, you can't pretend uh, that didn't happen. I mean, like, I, oh. I, mm. I, yeah, and then the, yeah. the, the counterculture, right? The cult, uh, drug running, this kind of stuff that was really actually part of the surfing culture anyway. Um, it was just the part was not in the movies. So, <laughs> so it was kind of like a natural. So, I mean, I'm certainly an armchair historian. I've read a lot of history books is for fun. That's just my idea of fun is reading really thick historic, you know, history books and then astounding people at parties with my, you know, my knowledge <laughs> about things nobody cares about. <laughs> and so, you know, I, but, you know, I just, to me, it's like the things I didn't include in this book, I, you know, Watts and, and, and all the assassinations and Altamont yeah. and, yeah. and the Manson murders and so many of them took. Oh my God. The Manson. You're right. I forgot that was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they all, like they almost all happened in California. Mm. Even you know, even Bobby Kennedy's assassination yeah. happened in LA. And I thought, wow, I didn't realize until I did that research how much California was kind of like ground zero of this yeah. this decade that was a very overstuffed decade, let's just be honest. <laughs> Including cults. So many cults started over there and then uh, moved. Yeah, well, right. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, the Manson fam is a whole cult all its own. But the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, which is in yeah. my book, was a real cult. And yeah. it was a surf kind of base cult. And they just manufactured LSD and broke uh, Timothy Leary out of jail, as one does. Meg said the grittiness adds so much to this story. Glad you went there and didn't keep us in the Frankie and Annette land. <laughs> and, that, and that was tempting to do yeah, that. Right? You could, you could sure. have called a sunny little story. Yeah. You could have. Because I, mm-hmm. my previous book was quite a dark, snowy 
cold little story. And so I thought that it might be fun to just keep this one light. But, you know, the more I looked about it, especially about women and and these sisters' journeys, I just had to go there. Yeah. No, it was really, really well done. Now, we know you live in the Midwest. Did you actually go to California? Uh, yeah, I actually, my husband and I have a timeshare on Newport Coast. So oh. we, every year we go to Southern California for a couple of weeks in in Newport Coast, Laguna Beach, which yeah. a lot of this area is set in. And then on some of my trips out there, uh, we drove up to Malibu, you know, which is very changed from what it was in 1958 or whatever. But it's still fun to see. And there are a lot of surfing um, museums all over that area. And I went into some of those and watched a lot of surfers, you know, That's and awesome. I subscribed to a thing called the Surf Network, which is an actual network on Amazon Prime that's just full of surfing videos. Wow. If you want to watch people surf, it was very helpful. So yeah, we, I love California. Um, I wish I could have afforded to live out there, but I can't. <laughs> but I love Chicago. But it is, you know, one of our favorite places. So we do spend a lot of time out there. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, awesome. Well, that's great. Um, it's interesting that you've got the two sisters. One has really, Mindy is a natural surfer and she's at home in that world. And then, then Ginger is not such a surfer and ends up in a different world. Um, I just think that's so interesting. How, and and you, how did you, you talked a little bit about how you explored it. Yeah. Well, you know, it is a story. So, you know, we have the story about the mother, but we don't, really hear her backstory until later in the book. We only see her through the eyes of the children of her daughters for the first part of the book. And these two daughters make this plan that they're going to learn how to surf to keep with their mother. And um, I think unlike the actual Calhoun girls who were both very good surfers, I thought it would be much more interesting if we had one who's a natural and who actually eventually is better than her own mother. You know, what was that feeling like? But then the other sister who just can't keep up. Right. And, you know, she's me and me too, but she, she's the one that's, I think, I mean, I love that. I love her, but she makes such terrible decisions. She's so, so hungry for love and for acceptance and, and to be someone other than just the little sister who has to, you know, they always have to constantly go back and kind of try to carry along with them leads her to make some very, very bad decisions as a woman. But she kind of broke my heart because she wanted love so much. But yeah, I mean, to be the third one of this, these like Amazonian women on surfboards and to be the one who just, you know, you just, just is never you know, up there on the podium with them, just can't keep up. But yet she had to try at least early on in order to have a family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Melanie, you have been such a great guest and this is such a fascinating novel and we hope that everyone runs out and gets their copy. But before we let you go, could you tell us, is there somewhere that readers out there will be able to get signed copies of your book? Oh, that's a great question. We are so blessed in Chicago. We have so many wonderful independent bookstores and I would uh, suggest contacting a bookstore called Unabridged Books in Chicago. And I, I can actually contact them too. And you can ask them um, to call me. I'll come in. I'll sign a book. And they, you know, you purchase your book through them and they can ship it to you. It's called Amazing. Unabridged Books. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank yeah. you for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, everyone out there, please make sure that you get your copy of California Golden. And Melanie, we thank you so much for being here. You were a wonderful guest. Well, my so pleasure. Melanie, thank you, guys. I you you. love all your books. You guys are amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, you just, I just feel faint when I think about what you guys do. I couldn't, <laughs> I, I don't have to. <laughs> you 
Well, we have lots of lots of our of our viewers will go out and find you on the road, and you've got your tour up on your website. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. Yes. I, I, I'm in Petoskey, Michigan, um, coming up this weekend. But then after that, it's in September and it's all California. And I'll be out there like 10 days so all over the place. So, yeah, please look at my website. Debbie what a fun book to talk about. Too. She's going to yeah. be in your land. Where? <laughs> Sorry. I was like, so one of our, uh, one of our friends in fiction members, Debbie Cooperman Stone had asked that question about where to get books and sign books. And I was saying, well, she's going to be in your, yes. show up on tour. That, yeah. That's one way to do it too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, well, Melanie. Well, thank you so much. And um, we really appreciate it and good luck on tour. Thank you so Hi, much, you guys. Have good a congratulations. Congratulations. All right, everyone, since we have been on a break for two weeks, we are going to be catching up on our after show. So don't leave yet because we have a, we have more ahead of us. So don't forget, you can find all of our episodes, back episodes on YouTube. And we will be here next week with our friends, Ann Garvin and Allie Carter. We have such a great episode in store for you next week, and we cannot wait. So thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week and also in about 10 seconds. So good night, <laughs> y'all. Oh, my gosh. They were so interesting. And who said that we get these ties? You, Kristen. Like, we don't Christy, even. Christy, yeah. Christy yeah. said, it. yeah, it's so true. Like, yeah. We don't I even, mean, we don't plan it. And then there's these like there's mother always, threads. Like, and it's always like something through. neat. It's not just like, oh, they both write historical fiction. Like it's, you no. know, it's it's not, it's usually something like deeper. I don't know. I love that. It's cool. Deeper as, in, deeper as in surfing, surfing. deeper as in, as in whale songs. Whales. There you go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Have you guys noticed um, books that we've been talking about lately? Um Whale Fall that you guys talked about yeah, on the yeah. podcast, and then Shark Heart. <laughs> yep. Oh, um, true. There's a lot of sea life yeah. going on. Yeah. That was oh, weird too. When you said Shark right Heart, now. I just looked up and my eye went like right toward it on my bookshelf, which like Ooh, I don't know where anything strange. lives on my bookshelf, so that's weird. <laughs> but now you know where that is. Um, maybe it's the summer ocean. Maybe I don't know, but you're right. There's a theme. Well, Christy told us today it's the age mm -hmm. of, we're coming into the age of Aquarius. It's so supposedly a thousand it? years of peace, you guys. So that's let's amazing. just hope that's, that's happening. I'd give for a week of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a thousand years might be stretching like the limit, but all right. So we had two weeks break, but as we know, it wasn't really a break. But, and we missed everybody out there, by the way, but what has everybody been doing with their break that isn't really a break? Mary Kay? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what I've been doing? I've been trying, <laughs> writing like a fiend, um, trying to finish a rough draft of next summer's book before I go out on tour for this fall's book. I went on a, um, a solo writer's retreat to Lake Sinclair, where I... Um, broke my brains out and stared at the sunset and um that's what i've and then i've been working on the details for the book tour for bright lights big christmas which is out september 26th the first launch is saturday september 23rd here in atlanta um uh, working on i've got a great pre-order campaign going with a local bookseller eagle eye books and you if you order pre-order the book through them you can get an adorable stained glass 
trailer Christmas tree ornament that looks like Spammy, the little camper in the so book. Cute. Awesome. So cute. So that's what I've been doing. And then I've been doing a little carpooling for my grandchildren. Yeah. I was in the, um, Meg, I called Meg the other day and I told her I was in the time machine. I was back in the same carpool line wow. where my kids were when they were in high school wow. for Molly. Wow. Yeah. That's really That must cool. feel surreal. It does. It does. Wow. I love that. Wow. Well, I love that you've been writing so much because honestly, I can't wait to read this book. So, And you're same. cruising. I mean, you're almost there. Yeah. Huh, I wish. <laughs> we said that for your editor. Shh, just be, yeah. so just go with it. Just yeah. go with it. Just go with Stuart, it. Stuart, she's okay. almost finished, Jen. She's, she's pages away from the end. In fact, <laughs> we know who did it. <laughs> we know. We know. <laughs> I'm glad you do because I don't. <laughs> Zip it. How, how about you, Christy? What have you been up to? Um, well, it's been fun. It was fun to be home for a little bit, just kind of like have a little bit of regular summer. Will still has like a week and a half left of summer. We get back, I think, a little bit later than a lot of places. Um, but I, I went to East Hampton Authors Night over the weekend. And that was so much fun. I met um, some really cool, like, superstars and some really cool superstar authors. So it was like a double fun night. But um, I got to meet Lauren Graham. And if y'all have ever heard me talk about it, I am obsessed with Gilmore Girls. Like, I realized that she was sitting at my table. And I was like, okay, when she comes in, do not <laughs> run up to her. Because we know it's like the worst thing in the world when you're like getting your head right for an event. And you know what's getting ready to come at you. And someone like comes running up at you and you're like, oh God. And so, and it's great, but it's also like you're trying to just get your head straight and like get in your like moment. And so I was like, don't be that girl. Don't be that girl. Don't be that girl. And so I totally didn't. And I waited a little bit and then I went up and I was like, I'm like a huge fan and I just love your show. Anyway, it was great. She was so nice. She could not have been nicer. Um, but I also got to meet Ryan Serhant, and I'm a huge, huge fan um, of Million Dollar Listing New York. I loved that show, so I was That's so awesome. excited to meet oh, him. Awesome. Um, Ron would Ron would understand. Ron's my reality <laughs> TV buddy. Um, anyway, Misty Copeland was there, and um, I don't know. Anyway, it was just it was great. And then I finally got I got to meet Viola Shipman and Annabelle Monahan and Jane Rosen, who I'd never met in real life. And anyway, I could go on and on and on. But it was a really fun night. And my um, designer friend, Marshall Watson, had this beautiful dinner um, for the library and for me at his house. And it was just great. So that was really fun. And then otherwise, we've just been like summer as usual. Pool, ocean, repeat. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Nice. <laughs> that's a good book title. Pool, yeah. ocean, repeat. Pool, ocean, repeat. Did you go to bingo last night? Huh? What? Did you go to bingo last night? Do you know what? We didn't. So <gasps> next week is the last one, but none of our friends could go last night. And little Will was like really tired. He had two sleepovers while I was gone. Mm -hmm. And so, um, see, that's what happens when daddy's home and mommy's <laughs> not because you get to have yeah. two sleepovers. Um, and I started a new book. I started a new yeah. book. I got a total random idea that was neither of the two things that I was thinking about writing. And I call and they, we were on a meeting and I asked these ladies what they thought. And normally I thought someone would burst my bubble, but no one did. So <laughs> here we are. No. It's a great idea. It's, it's we can't wait to idea. read it. Right faster. And of course, you're you probably, you probably what finished it. it. No, 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 she cannot say. <laughs> no. But but also you 
you casually mentioned earlier in the show that you've already written 10,000 words. And I swear to you, you started writing it yesterday. Like, no, it was not I yesterday. It was not yesterday. Okay. But it, but you know, at the begin. well, I think I'm like at the beginning, I like write a lot fast and then I kind of get yeah. on my like normal pace. And then at the end, I write a lot like really quickly, but I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'll just be in like a it's amazing. I'm never fast at the beginning. The beginning is the slowest for me. Like it, like it is like drawing blood to like, you do, I mean, it's, it's I like, I, I'm at the beginning and I have not hit 10,000 words yet. And I've been working on this for God knows how long. So, okay, well, so, 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 so maybe I said that incorrectly. That maybe isn't always the case, but I think it's because I was so excited You're about excited this about particular yes. yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as I kind yeah. of mentioned to y'all, it kind yeah. of was like formed in my head a little bit more than normal. And so I think so that's just why I'm getting like, it all out. I'm trying you're to like, yeah. get everything I know on the page before that it meets makes sense. Me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Sorry. I feel like I talked a lot. No, a lot you did to read it. It's been two weeks. Kristen, what yeah. have you been up to? I mean, uh, we know, but well, yeah. <laughs> what well, have no you one been doing? <laughs> How about if, but as, as if we haven't talked constantly, right? A times um, a day. Why don't exactly. I just read our text string? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. Here's what I've been doing. Um, no, uh, Noah started school um, a week ago. So I ha- officially have a second grader, which is crazy. He's having oh, a great, wow. um, having a great a school year. year so far. So uh, that's been great. Um, um, the day after our last episode of the summer season, I got my chemotherapy port out. So that was like at a very important yeah. sort of symbolic moment for me because, um, you know, it, it's this little thing that sits beneath your skin and you just feel it all the time. And it's just a reminder of what you've been through and why it's there and all of that. So to have it out kind of feels like, um, awesome. like a hopeful new start. You know what I mean? So that, that felt like it felt like closing the chapter, sure. hopefully, on on a, a difficult, uh, definitely difficult period of my life. Yeah, oh, yeah, ho- yes. I mean, yeah, not good, right? Um, and then we also had a family reunion in Nashville, so that was really fun. I had never been to Nashville before, um, so that was fantastic. Um, there were more than thirty of us. It's my husband Jason's side of the family, and we got these four side by side, four story townhouses. Um, so, cool. so we all stayed like right there, and then we had like these huge gatherings every night at one of the townhouses, and it was really cool. We went out in downtown Nashville um, one night. I get to go to Parnassus Books, which I've always wanted to see. Yeah. So that that was really good. And now that Noah's back in school, um, we're kind of getting back into a routine. So it's been really good to have a couple of hours every day to to write write uninterrupted, which is something that I've really missed. I mean, it's just been, the summer's been crazy. I haven't been able to catch up and uh, it's nice to feel like I'm back to my routine now. That's That's awesome. Good for you. Well, well, one of the things that happened while we were on break is the four of us were together in I, I was getting ready to and, say that. I, mean, I was it like, seems like forever we were ago. all together. Yeah. It's a, and we went to bingo. And we oh, went to bingo. I missed bingo. I missed bingo. bingo. So okay. so bingo. But, but notably, we did that. Go ahead. We raised $26,000 for earlier.org in honor of Kristen and Patty, which was really, oh, really amazing. Fantastic. So thanks to everybody who came and um, and you know, they, they want us to do it again. So hopefully we'll do it again. <laughs> oh, wow. Any excuse to be together. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, it was not a two week break for me. I was back on the road. I, um, for all of you who were listening, who showed up for me in New Jersey and Rhode Island in Massachusetts and Boston and Cape Cod, it was an amazing week. 
Um, and then I came home and I'm starting a home renovation project. So if you follow me on Instagram, I'll show you. I know I'm really excited. And although I timed it just right, I know Pat isn't listening, so I can say this. I'm going to Nantucket next week for my last <laughs> leg of the tour. And it's the three, the three days I'm gone in Nantucket are the three days we don't have a kitchen. Oh, sorry, Dad. <laughs> it's awesome. He said we'll have the kitchen blocked off that from, from Monday to Thursday. I was like, I'm in Nantucket. <laughs> so if any of you want to jump on that ferry, I'm with our favorite Tim and with Ellen Hildebrand next week. So, um, but yeah, it was a really busy two weeks. And also I finally am back writing. And I think all four of us got back to writing over this yeah. break and have, feel more grounded and ready yeah. Yeah. for this incredible yeah. fall season. So. It's Absolutely. scary when you're starting something new. It's like, it's hard it's to like make yourself jump into it. Cause it's like, what yeah. if it doesn't come? Yeah. yeah. I feel like that every time. Yep. Or when you're trying to finish up something and at the back of your mind, I keep texting everybody. Oh, I had a title idea. I had a title idea. <laughs> and I'm thinking have to, about the next. Yeah. I have to shut it down and go, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I don't have that kind of brain that can work on more than one pro- big project at a time. Mary Kay, this is is what I call that. Whenever a project is getting really hard for me, it's that thing, something shiny, something Mm -hmm. shiny over there. There's something very shiny over there, right? Very shiny. And you just like have to like push yourself back to the story. Someone, and I can't remember who it was, but it was like an author friend of ours called it the affair book. It is exactly what it is. It's It's like some hot guy waving to you across. Yeah. It's like, and it's going to be the best (laughs) thing you've ever written. And you have to keep going back to like your old hag and the flannel nightgown. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's exactly oh, like you've right. never had a flannel nightgown in your entire life. <laughs> oh, ladies, what an amazing night. I want you to night. pull out the flannel nightgown. I want you to prove it to us. I'm going to mail her one. I'm going to mail her one for Christmas with her initials on it. I will wear it to our Christmas party. Okay. Yeah, one of those, one of those she, she said up, it here, marking the one date. Of those buttoned up lands of Salzburg ones. It has a little lace collar. That's funny. Kristen, you can get her the bonnet and then yeah. on it, on it. Yeah, just just her style. Oh my gosh. Okay, y'all. Good night. What an Bye, incredible y'all. night, and we will see you next week for. Um, Allie and Carter. Yeah, it's going to be a great night. And Garvin and Allie. Two great books, too, you guys. So good. If you want to pre-read, great books. Get on it. All right. Good night, night, y'all. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.